Let's shift to today's scripture reading as Pastor John will give us the word this afternoon. Luke chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 3. We're going to be at verse 4 all the way to verse 10. And I'm going to be reading from English Standard Version. This is the word of God. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be straight, and rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Um, So it's been a month uh, since my wife Mina gave birth to our third child. Um, Yeah. Hey, man, thank you. Um, And I just, I thank you. Thank you, church, for praying for us. Um, Yeah, it's been, it's been wild. It's been a little bit of a blur. Um, But I want to tell you that everyone's doing well. Um, you know, the birthing process was smooth. Mina was just an absolute champ throughout the whole thing. Um, we are thankful for the doctors, the nurses, the whole hospital staff. Um, Mina is recovering. Um, and, uh, and my other kids, my, my other kids, uh, Elise and Rafael, they are also just that, that transition, you know, having a new sibling. Um, they've, been, they've been just amazing as well. Uh, my oldest daughter, she wants so much to be helpful. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, let me help. Let me help feed the kid. Let me help, you know, do stuff. And I'm like, hey, Elise, the way you can help is just listen, okay? <laughs> Please, just listen. And then um, she wants so badly to help. You know, yesterday uh, we were explaining to both kids again, like, why they can't be jumping on Mina. They can't, like, like we're like, if you jump on mommy, like, it hurts. It hurts her. Um, so my wife, she got a C-section, and we're like, and I, t- I said, I said, mommy's got a big cut in her belly, so we can't touch her, we can't jump on her, and um, <laughs> Elise, she came over, and she, she goes, she, she, she asked, she goes, hey, um, well, if you get married, do you have baby right away? And I was like, oh, is this the, where do babies come from <laughs> question? I was like, oh, no. Uh, but Mina was just like, uh, no, not, you know, it doesn't happen automatically. Like, if, if you get married and, you know, you want to have a kid. And, and then we kind of got through that one this time. The time's approaching, though. Got to have that talk. Um, but uh, then at least she just looked at us. She goes, I don't, I don't want to have any kids. And then Mina goes, well, didn't you say you wanted five kids? She goes, no, 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 I said I wanted six kids. And then realized because she didn't want to get cut, you know? <laughs> At least you don't want to have kids because you don't want to get your belly cut. 
She goes, yeah. It's all, right? Uh, but Mina smiles. She goes, no, but, but at least it's so worth it. Because of that, I have you three, right? Um, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a blur. My mom is visiting us from, from the States, and that has been hugely, hugely helpful. Um, she's just taking care of Rafael and, 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 and Elise. She's, like, cooking and cleaning and laundry and everything. Um, and uh, we're just, we're so, so thankful for her as well. You know, the first couple of weeks when she was here, like, she would just tell everyone, like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, it's fun. I'm having a fun, I'm doing my grandma duty for the first time, and it's fun, it's fun. I haven't heard her say that uh, in the last... <laughs> I haven't heard her say that recently. I think the fun has worn off. But uh, just really so thankful for her. Um, man, I just, having babies is crazy. Um, in this Advent season, we celebrate the birth of a baby. Is that a good transition? <laughs> um, I, I wanted to give you an update, you know, because we are family. Uh, but also, it's true, Advent, right? Uh, As we said in the start of the service today, as we've been saying, you know, each week of Advent, uh, we remember in this season, just as as Christmas is approaching, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it's this unthinkable event in history. You guys, I I want you to think about how unthinkable this is. I I think because if we've been in church, uh, uh, you know, we've, we've heard of this. We've heard God loves the world and so he sent his only son and, you know, Jesus is, you know, God, and we've heard of, of God as the Trinity, as the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Like, we've kind of heard this, and so it's kind of familiar, but I don't know if you know this, before Jesus' birth, like, nobody, nobody would have thought that this was who God was, that this was his plan from the very beginning, from Genesis, that, he, <laughs> that God himself was going to come as a human to live this earth. No one would have thought that. In fact, at the time, like, this would have been blasphemy at the highest level. Like, you just would have been stoned to death if you said anything like this because God was so holy, so otherly. But that's what God was pointing to from the beginning. Just as there's, there's many, many different prophecies, but just one from Genesis. Right after the fall, God said to, to Adam and Eve, he said, from the seed of Eve... The seed of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. They're talking about Jesus. And so in this season of Advent, we remember this unthinkable, amazing truth of Jesus' birth. So why in the world this passage from Luke chapter 3, Pastor Sangmin read it so well. Thank you, brother. Why in the world this third week of Advent, which is supposed to be about joy is our scripture reading where we read about John the Baptist. And it sounds like he's screaming at the crowds who have come to be baptized by him. He calls them a brood of vipers. Have you ever been called a brood of vipers? He calls them a brood of vipers who are trying to escape the wrath to come. Is this a joyful passage? Why this passage? Now, in part, uh, this passage is one of the passages that's included in the lectionary. The lectionary is like is the is the uh, the scheduled readings that like a lot of just the, the tradition of the church goes through. And in three, so 
every day of the week, all throughout the year, there's assigned readings. And so today, uh, on this day of Advent, this, is, this part is, is one of the readings. Uh, but that's not really reason enough, right? Uh, if Advent was only about Jesus' birth and, you know, the nativity, then I think we should expect that all of the, all of the uh, scripture readings should be about, you know, the, about that scene of, of the nativity of Jesus' birth and, and that whole story. But as we've been saying, yes, it's about remembering his birth, but even more so, it's, it's a looking forward. Can you guys say with me, looking forward? Looking forward to when Jesus returns in glory. So Advent is also a looking forward. Advent, again, means a coming or an arrival. So it is a looking forward to the arrival of Jesus, the King of kings, the King of glory, again in the future. And so John the Baptist, in preparing the way of Jesus, At the start of his ministry on earth, John the Baptist points forward to the Messiah's ultimate arrival when he comes in glory. And John the Baptist, he he talks about how the the Messiah is going to come with a winnowing fork in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff to be burned in unquenchable fire. We'll come back to that imagery a little bit later. But I want to say this. We didn't didn't read this part, but later in, in, in verse 18, the writer Luke summarizes John the Baptist's ministry, and he says it like this. He says, So, with many other exhortations, which means like an urging or an encouragement. So with many other exhortations, he, John the Baptist, preached good news to the people. Luke calls it good news. Now today I suggest that we are a generation that does not know what good news is when we hear it. I think we confuse nice news for good news. We confuse convenient news or comfortable news for good news. And so this afternoon, let us hear good news. And may it culminate in the experience of joy. Amen? So let me give you a little bit of background, just a tiny bit of background about John the Baptist. We don't know much, but we know that his prophetic ministry began even before his birth. <laughs> when he was in the womb of his mother, he heard Mary. Uh, it says this, that uh, John the Baptist's mother met Mary, and when the baby heard the voice of Mary, Jesus' mother, the baby leapt in the womb. John the Baptist, his his, 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 uh, his ministry, his prophetic ministry began three months before his birth. Uh, we know that he lived most of his life in the desert. We don't know exactly why that is. Like, we know that his parents, John the Baptist's parents, were very old when they gave birth to him. So maybe they passed and maybe he just kind of went to live in the desert. Like, we, don't, we don't know. But we know that he's in the desert. And so his spiritual formation was forged with just him living in communion with God. 
We know that John the Baptist was not concerned about being liked. <laughs> he was free to speak truth as all of the prophets of old always were. They were bold to speak truth, not afraid of being unliked. All right? He calls the crowds a brood of vipers. He confronts at the time, he confronts a multitude of delusions that the people had. The, the Jewish people, they had this idea, this thought that, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm Jewish, I'm a chosen person of God, and so I'm just going to walk in. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk into God's presence. This kind of, kind of assumption. And he kind of knocks these delusions down because it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your political affiliation, your religious accomplishment. It doesn't matter because the Messiah comes and he sees into every heart. And so John's ministry was a ministry of repentance. And we know that the people, the crowds, they responded. And they said, what then shall we do? I'm not going to spend too much time in this, but John the Baptist, he, he, he responds. And he, he says... Uh, he kind of gives like, like three different uh, uh, groups of people. He talks to normal citizens, he talks to tax collectors, and he talks to military soldiers. And in every case, what he encourages them to do in, in living uh, lives that, uh, of, of repentance, he talks about how they spend their money and how they spend their material possessions in an ethical way of loving your, your fellow man. But I want to go back to this idea of repentance, just in general, repentance. What is repentance? In ancient Greek, it is metanoia. Meta meaning um, uh, after or beyond. And nous means the mind. So literally it's like after the mind or beyond the mind or beyond thought, which really just means like a changing of the mind. But even deeper than that, it's a transformation of the heart, okay? Now one professor, uh, when I was in seminary, one professor, he likened it, he likened it in this way. He, he gave this story. He said, imagine that you're in the desert, and you don't have anything. You're just in the desert. It's, it's you know, in the heat, and you, you need to find you need to find sustenance. You need to find water. And you don't know where to go, but you just start to walk. You just start to go. And as you're walking, hours and hours, miles and miles, you've been walking and walking. Your, your, your legs are tired. Your, your throat is burning. And then you come across another traveler. And, you, and then you see this traveler, and you go to this person and say, hey, where's water? Where's water? You've been walking. You've been walking this way. Where's water? And then that person says, it's that way. Metanoia, repentance, is this, it's this sorrow because you realize, I've been walking this way this whole time, and you're telling me that water's that way? Now, if you want to be stubborn, you can go, nah, you know what, I've already invested all this time and energy, I'm just going to keep going. You could do that. Or you take that, that sorrow you know, that, that realization, like, oh my goodness, I've been walking the wrong way. But you turn around, and you go the other way. 
this turning around, this change of mind, this transformation of the heart. You guys getting that? Repentance. But I think sometimes it's a little bit more subtle than that. Now, I was on the subway to get to work one day uh, not too long ago, and uh, I'd never done the commute at the time on subway before. I'd always like, driven on, on my scooter and, and, and going there. But this time, I was like, no, I'm going to take the subway. And it was a little bit far, so I gave myself plenty of time. If you guys know me, that's, like, that's a big deal because I, 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 I'm, I'm like, always like, right on time or late. But I gave myself a lot of time. I was like, okay, I've never done this before. I'm just going to go. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to get lunch when I get close to work. I'm going to get to work early, have time to prepare. And so I was, I was set. I was good. I planned my, ro- my route. Who says route? Who says route? I never. <laughs> I got to just choose one. Um, I got to the subway. The subway uh, was, there, there was seats available, so I got, I got to sit down. I got comfortable. I'm looking at the distance. I calculated time. Like, okay, I'm going to arrive in about 45 minutes, so I can just, I can just chill out. So I put in my, my earbuds, and I just kind of, you know, I just kind of zoned out. Now, 45 minutes later, I stand up and say, hey, where am I? Look at the thing, and I'm like, I'm like so far from where I need to go. Now, I wasn't on the wrong subway going the wrong way, but it was one of those subways where it, like, it goes and then it splits. So you guys know these crap? Why do they exist, right? Some of the subways, they like split. And I didn't know that. I had no idea. So I wasn't paying attention. And so here I was. I had arrived at the wrong destination. I was late to work. I didn't get lunch, all that stuff. I wasn't paying attention. You know, I spent six years in the U.S. Navy, four years at sea. Um, and when you're at sea, in the ship, okay, for real, like in the, in, on the ocean, in the ship, uh, there's the, the navigator sets the course, you know, based on the distance, based on, uh, uh, based on the speed and the various other nautical factors, and they set a course. But there's a team of people in the pilot house who are constantly, like constantly, every 30 minutes, sometimes every six minutes, plotting the course and redirecting, correcting the route because of, you know, because the ocean, it's moving. There's set and there's drift. And so the, the ship, even though it's pointing this way, the current takes you like this way. So you have to constantly, constantly be looking at where you are, where are you going, and reset the course. I think sometimes that's what repentance is. Sometimes it's that drastic 180, man. You got, you got a 180. And sometimes it's like, man, I'm just going to coast. But if you coast, the set and the drift, man, we got we to gotta be paying attention. Reset the course, because otherwise we veer. You guys know the lyrics of that song? My, my, what's the lyrics of the song? My heart is prone to wander. I'm prone to wander. Repentance. And you know, the people, as John the Baptist was, was preaching and baptizing, exhorting with good news, the people were expectant. They were hungry. They were hopeful. And they started to think, is, is that the Messiah? 
Is he the one? And John the Baptist, he quickly responds. He says, no. No, the one that's coming, the Messiah, the one that's coming, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Now, this sounds a little bit random, but, but, but listen, listen to this. In those days, Jewish teachers, they had disciples, they had students. This was a normal thing, okay? Jewish teachers, they were held with such high regard that their students voluntarily became like their slaves, this was like a voluntary thing. If there was a teacher and I was a disciple, then I voluntarily would become that teacher's slave. And the teacher would expect me to do everything except for one thing, except for untie the straps of his sandals. Because for the Jewish culture, that was too low of a thing for a fellow Jew to do to another. You guys, you guys hearing that? It was too low a thing that even the lowest student and to the highest teacher, like, I, I wouldn't have to do that because that act is too despicable. But see, John the Baptist, he understood. He understood his relationship with the coming Messiah. And he knew even the most, the lowest form of service, I'm not worthy to do it. John pointed forward to the immeasurable superiority of Jesus in his person, his baptism, and his judgment. Because John knew that he couldn't give forgiveness. John knew that. His baptism of repentance, like he couldn't give forgiveness. John knew that he couldn't know hearts, so he couldn't judge, because only Christ can do those things. John baptized with water. Jesus, the Messiah, was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Water, right? Water can wash dirt off the surface, right? You guys know what fire does? Fire changes things. Fire changes like the chemical, uh, the substance of a thing. <laughs> now the imagery here is like uh, when you melt down a metal, you melt it down in a hot fire and the impurities, the dross rises to the surface and you, and you cut it off. So that in the end, this metal is pure, is a pure metal and you can pour it into any form. The Holy Spirit purifies the heart and makes it new. The Messiah would baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist knew that. He's pointing forward. And he knew that the Messiah's judgment was perfect. The Christ's judgment knows every heart. And again, that, that image of he's going to come with a winnowing fork. This is a harvest an imagery of, of harvest. You've got the threshing floor and you put all of the, the grain that's been picked and you've got this winnowing fork and you, and you, you, you take it and you, you throw it in the air. Grain is heavier than the chaff. And so as you throw it in the air, the grain falls to the floor and the wind carries the chaff. So you keep doing this, you keep doing this and the grain falls, the chaff goes so that in the end you gather up the grain, put it in the barn. You gather up the trash, the chaff, and you throw it in the fire. 
he describes the Messiah's judgment like that, that Jesus knows every heart and his judgment will be perfect. Now to this point, if you've been tracking with me, I haven't really talked much about joy, have I? You know, last year at this time, I actually gave the sermon of Advent on joy. And at that time, we we looked at the book of Nehemiah. And in a similar way, there was repentance because the people at that time had, had had, had come to know that they'd been living their lives in rebellion. And so they began weeping. But those people in Nehemiah's day, they were exhorted to stop crying for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, John the Baptist today, he exhorts us with good news that might sound harsh, but he's pointing us forward to the Lord. So can we all be pointed forward to the Lord and to the joy of the Lord? Let me, let me point us forward. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it can be weird, <laughs> It can feel a little scary, but really what it is, revelation, it means a revealing, like, a, like a, uh, an uncovering. So if you can imagine, like, you know, we're living our lives, we see what we see, but there's a deeper spiritual reality, and so revelation is an unveiling, a revealing of what is true, okay? So this is revelation, and it's a window into, like, real reality, eternal reality, And it paints a picture of history, past, present, and future. So let me read Revelation chapter 5, the first five verses. This is John, this is Apostle John, not John the Baptist, the other John. John is, is writing. He says this Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So what is the scroll? So John, he's taken through this insane vision and he sees God seated at the throne and and, and God is holding this scroll. And the scroll represents all of God's promises. And if the scroll isn't opened, then God's promises will not be fulfilled. And so John knows that. And so when he sees that no one is worthy to open the scroll, he begins to weep because this is God's promises. This is his hope. No one's worthy to open the scroll. But it goes on. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
So the angel tells John, stop crying. Look, look, the lion of Judah, he's coming and he is worthy. And you know, John looks up and you know what he sees? He sees the lamb that was slain. Is that crazy? The angel says, look, it's the lion of Judah. He looks up and he sees the lamb that was slain. And it is the lamb that was slain who is worthy to open the scroll, who is worthy to bring God's promises into completion, into perfection. Because the lamb had conquered. How did the lamb conquer? It's not through this mighty battle of of like this victory. The lamb conquers through his death. Victory and salvation and strength and might all through his death. This is Jesus. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll to bring God's promises to completion. You know, earlier, so John the Baptist, we, he knew that he was not worthy to touch even the straps of Jesus' sandals, right? Now, we hear this all the time, and it's a beautiful truth. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Like, it is true. But we got to hear this. You nor I are worthy to kneel down before Jesus and touch his sandals. We're not worthy. But the joy of all of this is that the holy king, Jesus, the king of kings, the lion of Judah, the lamb that was slain, the only one worthy to open the scroll and bring God's promises to completion, he calls you and I friend. He calls us brother and sister co-heir with Christ, forgiven and redeemed. Now the king, Jesus, he goes even beyond the, de- the most degrading thing of touching someone's sandal and Jesus gets on his knees and he washes the feet of his disciples. This is Jesus. This is the king. And he goes way beyond that. He is the king who gives his life as a ransom for many, who humbles himself even to the point of death on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin. This is the Jesus who has all authority with the winnowing fork to bring perfect judgment. And he is the humble lamb who was slain. This is the king who judges every heart. My cry to all of us today is to come to Jesus, the Holy One, the King of kings, and bring him your heart that he may restore unto us the joy of salvation. Now, what other joy we can talk about here the joy of salvation 
May that empower us, encourage us, strengthen us today. I want to wrap up. As John the Baptist was beginning his ministry, Luke quotes Isaiah chapter 40. And, and actually, can, we, can you put it back up, Luke um, chapter 3? Yes, thank you. And there's this vision. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall be straight. This is a vision of like making a highway for the entrance of the king. So you don't have to do this, like this. Just like bringing everything down into a highway for the entrance of the king. The highway is repentance. And it's not a mending of roads, but a mending of hearts to make way for the king. Let us make a highway in our hearts, in this church, a highway for the entrance of the king that he may restore unto us the joy of salvation. Because we look forward. We look forward to when Jesus comes again. He will usher in all of the promises in perfect completion. He will restore all that is broken. If you've experienced brokenness, guys, I know. He will restore all that is broken. No more diseases. No more death. He will wipe away every tear to bring in fullness of joy. So we're going to shift into a time of communion. And, you know, every week what, what we say is, man, that this is the main event of the, of the service. <laughs> this is the table that Jesus invites us to his table.